welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafta, and today I'll be chatting with Olashena Alabede, Vice President of Global Credit and Installments Business at MasterCard. MasterCard is a global technology company in the payments industry. Their mission is to connect, empower, and inclusive digital economy that benefits everyone. Hello, Alashena, how are you? Hi, Stacy. Good morning. It's uh, been a long time coming for this interview. <laughs> yes, it has. But we, uh, we're doing it. You're recording this from New York. This is the first podcast recording from the US of A. So this is exciting. How's New York doing? New York is great. Uh, New York is great. It's summertime, which means lots of uh, getting outside, lots of activities, barbecues. So we're enjoying the summer. That is fantastic. I'm genuinely excited to get into your career journey. I know that you're originally from Nigeria, so I'm curious to know your journey, how you landed up in New York, and essentially how you became vice president of global credit and installments business at MasterCard. Yeah, like you mentioned, I'm Nigerian, uh, born and raised. Uh, uh, undergrad was in Nigeria, so I went to college in Nigeria. And right after college, I joined this startup called Interswitch, uh, I believe it's now a unicorn. Mm. And I, I joined as an integration engineer. So as an, an engineer, we did, uh, but as a startup, I believe I was employee number 19. And oh, wow. Insta- yeah. And um, I think 19-ish. I'm not, yeah. And we, in, in the startup, I, you know, you, I was there for about nine and a half years, a few months shy of 10 years. So you can only imagine we did, wore so many hats, um, when, while, while, while at InterSwitch. So I was an integration engineer, became a project manager, at one point led the operations team, which evolved into a third party processing, switching and third party processing business um, for MasterCard, Visa, and you know all the other networks, and also a domestic uh, card brand network at that time. And towards the tail end of my uh, stay there, started out uh, a team called a service management, an enterprise service management team, which is really meant to uh, take customers from when they sign a contract and onboard them all the way to, um, all the way to when you know everything they all their services are fully operational. So, so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and then in 2014. I joined MasterCard. I joined MasterCard um, to move from Nigeria to Kenya. And in Kenya, what I did, what what I was recruited to do was to drive uh, go to market for a number of MasterCard's network products. Mm. So everybody knows MasterCard as a credit card company or as uh, as a payments network, but we also had a lot of network products on the network, something such as... Um, the fraud protection systems on the network and and some of those other things. And so I, I drove go to market for those products um, across sub-Saharan Africa. So that was um, as west as Senegal or Gambia, as east as Ethiopia, and then south, everything south awesome. except South Africa. So it was great. I got a chance to go to about 26 African countries wow, and to really, really understand, you know, really immerse myself in culture in East Africa and across. And uh, right after, um, at some point when I was um, 
in 2017, I was tapped on the shoulder to say, hey, uh, there are opportunities uh, on network here in the mothership in New York. Uh, and I, uh, and I uh, applied to one of those roles. So I moved to the New York office as a program manager in the technology team, which um, pretty much drives, uh, manages um, deployments on on the network itself, the AuthClare Settle network. So it was a big learning opportunity for me, uh, really seeing how, how the engine move? worked. The move was interesting. Uh, it was an interesting move because it was a, a change in domain, a change in yeah. geography, and also an opportunity to immerse myself in, in a new culture. And I thought I knew the network until I got there and I saw new, <laughs> <laughs> new things. That was super interesting. 26 countries across Africa, that, that is incredible. What were the common payment problems you noticed in Africa that maybe weren't as prevalent elsewhere? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, uh, Stacy. I think the first uh, major problem, as you can imagine, is infrastructure. Um, infrastructure in a lot of markets in Africa is still lacking. So, it a lot of um, and this infrastructure is required to be able to as building blocks for all the cool technology that payment technology that uh, a lot of fintechs and a lot of companies would be mm. able to um, deploy or apply in those markets. I think that's, um, and that's lacking whether it's a, a basic network or broadband or, or basic um, uh, even power itself, um, that, that is uh, lacking in a lot of markets. I think the second thing that that is probably uh, lacking is uh, clear policy direction from, you know, the regulators or the policy holders, or better still, if you think about it from if the policy makers were a lot more involved in becoming enablers. So when you think about markets that have had success in fintech or in payments in Africa, the the policymakers have played a role in getting them there. They've played a mm. positive role in enabling them, in asking the question, you have this new technology, what does it mean? How does it benefit my people? How does it protect my um, the consumers in the market? And how does it protect the financial system? And then how do we help enable that? So markets where there's been great momentum in Africa, whether it's a large market or a small market, it's been down to, uh, policymakers being enablers and markets where there have been um, some progress, there could potentially be much more progress if the policymakers, um, you know, really are proactive and choose to be uh, enablers as well. And then the third um, third challenge I see is there's still a gap in investment in fintechs. Um, mm. uh, especially the really small uh, fintechs or small players that are providing the last mile service. So when you think about the relevant use cases in each domestic market, um, there there are players in there that really deeply understand what those customers want, those the consumers want, and solve for it. So uh, you could have a great, you could deploy a great, Payment network in the market, but you know you need the domestic players to 
be able to create the um, USSD applications that will drive in the market, maybe because that market is still largely feature phones or some other solution that is very relevant to those markets. So there's still a lot of funding that I believe is required or investment that needs to be made in the local fintechs in those markets. How do we make this change? We talk quite often about investment and I've had many African founders talk about the challenges they faced versus uh, an international fintech coming or somebody who is an expat starting a business in Africa receiving better funding than those that are local. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so. Investment is not just cash alone. Uh, I think definitely it's not just, hey, here's uh, X million dollars or a couple thousand dollars. It is um, mentorship. So when you think about Mm -hmm. incubators and accelerators um, or accelerator programs, it is mentorship, it is seed funding, it is guidance, it is opening up your network. to an access and technical know-how to these fintechs to be able to, you know, create something and and not have to reinvent the wheel or not have to learn everything from ground up. And I'll give you a good example. MasterCard has a an accelerator program for fintechs called StatPath. Mm-hmm. And people can look it up on statpath.mastercard.com. Where MasterCard works with a cohort of fintechs to um, really l- refine their product, think through their product, and, and also potentially find ways of investing in them to, to be able to grow in the market. So uh, it's one of the things I love about MasterCard. Yeah, we have so many fintechs reach out to us and ask us for advice on how to partner with MasterCard or Visa. What would you say are the best steps to take to get there? And and what should you have in place before reaching out? Yes. Um, so best thing to do is, number one, is if there are... Uh, they are already, MasterCard has presence in a lot of these markets. So say in Kenya, South Africa, um, uh, Nigeria, and, and all the other markets. So there are always um, people in those markets that are willing to engage and, and chat with you. Uh, there's a whole team that is dedicated to being able to support fintechs. So that that is number one. Um, I would say reach out to them. And then number two is get on the accelerator program. It is so, so beneficial. So startpath.mastercard.com uh, is the place to um, connect uh, and and start the process. And I think that would be uh, that would be a great place. Awesome. That's great advice. Olashene, about a year ago, me and another teammate took over separate divisions and were both the only members in that department. I came from quite a big team in my previous company and a part of that meant sharing ideas and workload. You went through something similar when moving to MasterCard. What challenges did you face during this transition? Yeah, I, I can totally relate with what you're describing there. So when I when I moved from InterSwitch to MasterCard, I uh, went from being a, a team leader to an individual contributor, and, and the team was uh, quite a large team back then. Uh, so I can I one of the, I think the very first thing you struggle with is the fact that you don't have someone right next to you to bounce ideas off. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> that diversity of thought just goes away immediately. You're like, ah, I have this thing, but nobody right here beside me. So I um 
I think that's that's one of the first challenges I also struggled with. And then, and of course, there's a shared responsibility. You know, now you have to write reports, et cetera, prepare your presentations and all that. Uh, and I think the, the but of course, in, in when I joined MasterCard, it, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was alone. I would say now I was, um, and this is one of those things, that one of the first things that I was, uh, told during the onboarding is yes, you're an individual contributor, yeah, but you're also an informal leader. You have mm. a vast number of people around you, both locally in the market, there in the in the in the Kenya office, and also you know in the whole group. So I could ring up someone on the phone and they fly into the country, or email them and and explain. But one of the things there is. When you are in an operations, when you are a team leader, your messaging is actually quite inductive. So you you're pretty much going straight to the point and and delivering it, um, you know, to your team and saying this is what we need to do. You marshal the troops and let's go. Uh, but when you are an individual contributor, more or less an informal leader, you, now you have to corral teams you need to uh, rely on your storytelling or or sharpen your storytelling abilities you need to be able to let people see how what you're asking them to do really ties into the main business priority and your messaging is probably a bit more deductive in yeah. stating the why and the how you know and letting them see the big picture i have to say i became i became a much better storyteller uh in, <laughs> in the process i would say so it's uh building relationships uh really being crisp and clear in the in in messaging um and really also being able to quickly highlight how every initiative aligns to business priority for each of those individuals i think that was how you know i i, I got through that as a an individual contributor. I think it's important to also note that you should reach out to other people in different departments and ask for their opinion. I know that when it comes to creative work within our business, it's really important to bounce off ideas and and hear what other people think. Um, because being having to think of new ideas or brainstorm on your own um, can sometimes be be quite challenging. So what we have, and I know that in the startup environment, it's it's really common to bring people, even if they're in the finance department, bring them in. If they have nothing to do with something creative, it's it's always great to get a different angle. Um, and we've seen such great success with doing that in our business. Yeah, and and you raise a great point there. Um, I also experienced the same thing um, when joining Mastercard. So uh, when I was at Interswitch, I had uh, at some point I had uh, a team of about twenty twenty two people when I was when I led the operations team. But in Mastercard, I had fifteen thousand experts to rely on. Yeah. And the person could be in Singapore or in St. Louis. All I yeah. had to do was send out an email saying, I'm, I'm trying to find out about X, Y, Z. And most likely the person that is responding to you could have a PhD, but it's definitely an expert. So mm. yes, wealth of expertise out there and people were super, super supportive. They couldn't even pronounce your name, but they would definitely <laughs> respond to your email. Love it. I love it. I love that. You focused on building credibility throughout your career, whether as an expat or, or entering a new environment. Did you feel the need to do this or was it external forces? Yeah, actually, yeah, it was. A, I would say this was my biggest struggle. 
um, when I moved to MasterCard and especially when I transitioned to the U.S. In, and walked into a room of experts on the network, I would say um, one of the f- key things there was I struggled uh, to I felt that there was a need for me to really show that I belonged or I deserved a seat on that table or being in that room. I guess this is what we, you know, this is what experts call uh, imposter syndrome. Yes. What, I, what, I, what I found out um, with the help of my, my mentors and my coach is that this is a burden that I placed on myself. Uh, it wasn't anything anybody was um, asking or it wasn't anything anybody did. It was more of, I was the one that placed that burden on myself. And it took me a while to realize it. But once I did, it all made sense. Um, and, and I think the, the biggest challenge with walking that journey is you would I was questioning myself every step of the way and, you know, trying to be, uh, to ensure that I looked and sounded and, and seemed really smart in everything uh, that I was doing. But but the minute I recognized that, um, you know, this is, um, the minute I recognized that I, this is not uh, who I am and it's not my authentic self, then I was able to tackle it. Uh, and it was interesting. The journey in tackling it as well was really great. And I, and I have to give credit to my mentors, uh, both with MasterCard, uh, Koshik and Ronel. Ronel is actually South African, so big shout out to Ronel. Um, they helped me to get to this place. And I think one of the, I, I, what I did to tackle it was, um, number one, I recognized that um, all these doubts were a little voice in my head that was, that was seeking to go back to the comfort zone. Now, I've stepped out of my comfort zone of, um, you know, whether it was Nigeria or Africa, I've come to the network here with a large number of experts. Of course, naturally, you know, your mind, your body wants to go back to the comfort zone, but we are out of that comfort zone now. We need to move forward. So that was the first thing I recognized and, and you know, really had to tackle that. Second thing I um, I did was understand that I don't have anything to prove to anyone. Mm. And that gave a lot of freedom. I mean, I had... That's such a difficult one to tackle. (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. I think that gave me a lot of freedom. You know, freedom to acknowledge what I don't know and tell my colleagues, tell me more, tell my team members, Mm. I'm going to rely on your perspective on this, on your decision. And I had team members... um, uh, when I moved to the U.S., I had team members that were very tenured. I'm talking somewhere 30 years in MasterCard, 20 years with MasterCard. So they had a wealth of expertise to rely on. And it was just the minute we all tapped into each other's um, perspectives and, and knowledge, it was really, uh, the team really took off, uh, was so great. And and then um, also allowed me to be authentic. Um, you know, I could be bring. I could bring in every conversation. I could bring the African perspective. I could bring mm-hmm. what I saw in in um, in each of the African markets, or just something there to those to those conversations. So so that was that was the second thing I tackled. And then the third thing I did, which I loved doing with my team so much, was to celebrate small wins. So. 
you know, every quarter after a deployment, we would go have dinner. The team was all based out in St. Louis, Missouri. I was based in New York. So I we would go out there and I would go out there, we would have dinner, we would celebrate some wins. And then even now in a, in in the uh, installments role, I would still celebrate uh, personal wins with my teams as well. That's awesome. How did you know you were ready for a career coach or needed a career coach? Yeah, um, I think right from um, the get go. I think from the early, from the early yeah, stages. Yeah, coach from the early days. N- coach, not from the early days. Mentors from the early okay. days. Uh, but I think, with regards to the coach, I, I would say I was actually very, very fortunate. Um, I uh, stumbled on my coach on LinkedIn. His name is Crawford. I stumbled on my coach on LinkedIn. We connected and I was very, very lucky that he wanted to have that conversation with me and get to know me. And and I think um, that candor and that openness allowed um, us to really have some really great conversations. So he would ask me those questions, tough questions that I've, you know, just put to the side or refused to ask myself. So, um, and I, and I met the, my coach, uh, in 2019. Yeah. 2019, gotcha. 2020. So we had, um, great connection, um, great, great conversations and really asked the tough questions. I would say, um, if I could do it differently, though, I would say right when you start your career, you should seek out a coach. It is an investment wow. in in growing yourself. Also seek out mentors. Mentors are usually, my mentors are in payments. Um, they've always been in payments and it's been their line of business. So, uh, you know, we can openly and I'm lucky that my mentors are within with the same company. So we can openly talk about my day-to-day challenges or the big things, the small things, we're, we're able to do that. Um, with a coach, it's um, a lot less so, but it's still great career conversations as well. So that's something I would recommend to everyone for sure. How do you ask someone to be your mentor or does it just organically happen? For me, it's organic. Um, okay. I, think, I think, you know, you feel a little weird if you get an email from someone you don't know. Say, <laughs> can I please be your? Can, can I you please can be, my you be my mentor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got a few of those emails as well. Really? Okay, okay. Yeah, and 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 I think, oh poor, um, you know, I think, oh my, oh dear, I don't want to disappoint this person, but I also don't know this person. Um, I think the the first thing to do is really build a relationship, uh, because um, being a mentor or mentorship is an investment in time for both the mentor and the person and the mentee. So that investment in time is what people are going to consider the opportunity cost of that investment in time. Um, And they're going to think, is it, is it worth my while to go into this investment? Um, You know, so I feel like uh, the very first step is to build a relationship relationships are the basis for everything so if once you build a relationship really understand and and also come with a a perspective of i want to learn i but i also want to contribute uh you know um in that conversation that becomes really helpful as against you know someone that says um a lot of people come through come out come across as you know they just want to get 
take, 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 take mm. from from the mentor, which which is not what most mentors like. Do you have any mentees? Yes, I do. I do okay. actually have. And how do you choose who you feel would be a right relationship to pursue? Uh, I think the first thing is um, the, uh, I, I want to say attitude um, okay. and, and the attitude drive and authenticity. How authentic is this person? Um, you know, I, I've seen people that they've started their email by explaining all the great business schools they went to and, and, mm-hmm. and, and posturing and, and all that. And I'm like, okay, great. Um, you know, good for you. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I've also seen people that feel like, you know, they, they ask you the question, uh, simply because where they really want to get to is they want you to help them apply to a job or a role somewhere. It's not really mm-hmm. like they want to learn. They, yeah. they just see you as a means to an end. But you, when you come across a few people that have energy, they're asking the right questions, they see articles, they send it to you, they see um, stuff they send it to you. Uh, and more, more often than not, you would have shared common interests. Uh, so one of my mentees uh, is, a, is a data scientist. I am still learning machine learning. Uh, so it's kind of a reverse mentorship. I'm mentorship, mentoring the person on on career and on payments, and this person is mentoring me on on machine learning. Then you can That's only fantastic. Imagine. Yeah. So well, well, um, you know, and other instances. The other instance is pretty much just a really great conversation across multiple areas. But but you know, you can always tell who's authentic. That's awesome. Ola Shenet, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was incredible having you. Thank you, Stacey. It was so much fun chatting with you. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? Yes. So on LinkedIn, it is, you can search me up, Olasheni Alabede. That's O-L-A-S-E-N-I-A-L-A-B-E-D-E. Olasheni, but there's no H in there. And on Twitter, you can reach me at King underscore Sheni. That's K-I-N-G underscore S-E-N-I. Uh, I probably tweeted a lot of uh, interesting things on Twitter. So. <laughs> I'll check it out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.